Turn with me to Ephesians 1 this morning. Praise God. Let's go there first. Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Folks on live stream are like, what's going on up there at Heritage this morning? Praise God. All right, Ephesians 1. I want to talk to you this morning about understanding. Okay, understanding. And the Bible has a lot to say about understanding. It has a lot to say about the importance of understanding, has a lot to say about the, the place of understanding in our lives. And Ephesians chapter 1, and let's begin at verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I want to stop right here for a moment. Sometimes people have this idea that if you pray about or for the same thing more than once, that somehow that means you didn't believe the first time you prayed. Now, in some situations, that may be applicable because there comes a point, according to Mark 11, where Jesus taught us about faith, there comes a point where in prayer we have to believe that we have already received, amen, and the Bible says if you believe that you have already received, you will have whatever it is that you desired and asked for. So, in certain applications... There needs to come a point in time where we pray, we believe that we receive, and then we move on. And if we revisit that in our, in our thought life, then we respond with thanksgiving, we respond with expectation, we respond with what we've already prayed and already believed that we have received. Amen. Now, here, though, is an exception to that because we see that the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to pray a specific prayer for the church at Ephesus. Now, this, this letter was addressed to the Ephesians, but it, it would have been passed uh, to all the churches there in, in Asia Minor and, of course, has been passed to you and me. This is not just Paul's words. These are the words of the Holy Spirit that the, the Holy Spirit has spoken through and inspired uh, you know, the, the, the Apostle Paul uh, to write to the church. So this is just as valid for you and me today, as it ever was to any of uh, you know the people. Sometimes we get sometimes we get caught up in talking about the early church, okay? And and we're the, we're the same church, amen. Are you with me? We're the only one, amen. The church, which is the body, amen. And that's you and me. We're a part of that same church that they were a part of, 
And these words are, are sent to us. So if you notice that the Apostle Paul here is saying that he uh, prayed this prayer for them over and over and over again. And if you consider all of the different things that the Apostle Paul could have prayed for these people, things that, you know, about their physical needs, uh, things pertaining to their protection, uh, persecution was really ramping up against the church. In other words, there's, there are all kinds of details, if you will, that the Apostle Paul could have felt compelled to pray uh, over the church and over the people in the church. And, and, and yet we see that the Holy Spirit directed him to pray a certain uh, vein, a, a certain uh, method, a certain approach, if you will, to, to, to prayer. And, 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 he see, and we see that he prayed it continually. This was something, notice he says that he does not cease to give thanks for you and he does not cease to make mention of them in his prayers. And this is what he prayed. He prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of God, a spirit this word spirit here is not just referring to uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit or the born-again spirit or the human spirit. It's, it's talking about an attitude. It's talking about a mindset. It's talking about something that, that we receive from God into ourselves. Amen. If you remember, Jesus asked his disciples one day, he said, who do men say that I am? And they started listing off all the different things that, that, that people had said. And I imagine that group of men were always in such competition that they were trying to see who could come up with the, with the best answer or the most clever answer, right? But then Jesus turned the tables on them when he says, but who do you say that I am? And we know then that um, Simon Peter, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responded and he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And if you break down the, the original language and, and some of the words that were used in Jesus' statement, what, what, we, what we come to uh, see and realize is that there are different ways that we can come to uh, an understanding of something. There, there are different ways that we can reach a conclusion. And, and we see that when he said flesh and blood, when Jesus said flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, he was saying that, that Simon Peter did not come to that understanding. He did not come to that conclusion uh, from outside of himself into himself. In other words, this was not something that, that he understood, let's say it that way, this was not something that he understood uh, by his physical senses, by, by something he heard audibly or something he saw uh, visibly, but it was instead an understanding that came from God the Father into Peter's spirit, into his inner man. And then once that understanding came into his inner man, he spoke it out of his mouth. But again, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So when the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pray a certain way over the churches and to, and to do it continually, notice now that he's praying for the individual members of the body of Christ. He's praying for uh, you know, the, the individual churches and the families and the individuals that make up those families in those churches. He's praying that, that each one of them would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. In other words, that they would be receiving uh, understanding, uh, not just from the outside of them into them, 
but from the inside of them, out of them. Amen. Now, he also said, let's keep going here, that my Father may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18, notice verse 17 ends with a comma. So the prayer is continuing. In verse 18, he, he says that he doesn't cease that they would, to pray that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of, of God. That the, and then also that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. According to the working of his mighty power. If he's being specific here, according to the working of God's mighty power, he's, he's, he's wanting to set that uh, truth apart from other ways of accomplishing things. Setting that way of, 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 of realizing and experiencing results in life and ministry apart from other ways of the flesh. That's not to, to, to somehow uh, ignore or pretend like that there's not some effort that we need to put into this. There's not some physical labor that we need to put into uh, to ministry. One of the ways you spell ministry is W-O-R-K. Amen. We're co-laborers together with Christ. We are, we are working together with Him. But remember, we are expecting more than we can produce on our own. We're expecting more than we can produce with our own abilities, with our own strength, with our own intellect, with our own ingenuity. Amen. That, that we ha- have every uh, uh, right, it's our birthright to expect, amen, more than what we can do ourselves. Praise God. But now, there's a lot of preaching and teaching that we can do here, that we have done here, that we've continued to do moving forward, amen. But the bigger picture that I'm wanting you to see before we move on is that he's praying that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God and the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. What does he mean, the eyes of their understanding being enlightened? That, that based upon who they are in Christ, based upon what's been given to them because of who they are in Christ, that they would begin to see things in a different way. That they would begin to understand things in a different way. Your understanding is your ability to process things. In other words, how you understand something is how you process it. That's why it's your understanding. Amen. Right? Now, if we get there in a minute, we will. Proverbs 3, where we're instructed to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to lean not to our own understanding, in all our ways, acknowledge Him, and then what? God will direct our paths. Now, notice part of our trusting in the Lord with all our heart means not leaning on our own understanding. Not leaning on our own ability to understand and process circumstances and situations because how you understand something determines how you ultimately respond to that thing amen so i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but i want to talk to you about understanding and about the importance of it and and about father's desire with the holy word of god and the holy spirit of god working together inside of you and me to to make a, a significant shift in the way we understand things or let me say it another way in the way that we process things because you will, you will never uh, shift in the way you respond to things 
unless you first shift in the way you process those things. The way you, the way you, you know, when you see something, when you're in the middle of some situation, when you're, when you're facing some challenge or some difficulty, right? We, we tend to uh, go to the automatic thought and the automatic response that has been pre-programmed into us. Amen. And so if we're, if we're going to uh, ever respond differently in that moment of, of, of challenge in that moment where, where Satan's attacking, there's, there's some temptation, uh, there, there's, there's some adverse situation, circumstances going on around you, right? Because remember, every strategy, every tactic, every scheme, every while the devil uses against you and me has, has one purpose in mind, and that's to get you and me to respond in a way that would be detrimental to our own future, in a way that would, that would, that would make the situation worse, not better. I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody who's responded to a situation in the past that has not made it better, but has made it worse, okay? And that's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to manipulate your response. He cannot mess up your life unless you cooperate with him. And the only way he can get born-again people to cooperate with him is if he tricks us or deceives us into cooperating with him. Are you still with me this morning? Praise God. So we're talking about our understanding, we're talking about our understanding. Let me, let me finish this and then we'll, we'll go to some other verses. So he's, he's praying that they would have, that you and I would have. And by the way, let me encourage you, if you're, if you're new to Heritage this morning, you, you may not have heard me say this before, but it's something I say early and often, amen, is we need to pray this prayer over ourselves. We need to pray this prayer over our families. We need to pray this prayer over our family of faith. We need to pray this prayer over our co-workers. We need to, we need to pray. If you have a, a loved one this morning that doesn't know Jesus, pray this prayer over them that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Amen. Because the Bible's very clear. The God of this world, Satan, lowercase g-o-d, God of this world, has blinded them. Their eyes are blinded. Their minds are blinded. And, and they can't see the truth. And they're blinded to the truth. And unless something shifts in their understanding, because remember, your understanding is how you process things. And, and so if your understanding is such that when the truth is presented to you, you write it off as a fable, you write it off as, as a fairy tale, you write it off as, you follow what I'm saying, then before you can ever receive the truth that, that has the power of God unto salvation in it, something has to shift in, in your understanding of it. Amen. Man, I got a lot of stuff firing off in my heart and mind. Let me, let me finish this and we'll come back. All right. So the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Notice too how this is worded. He didn't, he didn't pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, but he's brought faith into this and he's confessing that the eyes of their understanding are enlightened. Have you ever read how Jesus prayed for his disciples in John the 17th chapter? In John the 17th chapter, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, it goes something like this. Father, thank you for these men that you've given to me. I'm not praying for everybody yet. I'm going to pray for them first. But as I pray for them, I just want to say thank you, Father, that they believe that I came from you. They have received every word that I've spoken as, as being from you. And, and notice now, this is the same bunch that's asleep, right, while Jesus is trying to pray. This is the same bunch that's, that's just in a few hours, uh, for the most part, going to run and hide and deny that they even knew him. But that's not what Jesus is praying. Jesus is not praying, Father, you know how weak these men are, and you know how lousy they are, and you know how I'm not even sure any of them's going to continue this after I'm gone. But, Lord, if you could just do something with them, it would really make me feel a little better about myself tonight. No, that's not how he's praying. Jesus is praying over these men and speaking over these men. 
what, what the will of God and, and the heart of God and the desire of God is. That Remember, God calls things that be not as though they were. Amen. And so he is calling into these men what needs to be in these men for them to continue the assignment that they've been chosen from the foundations of the world. Amen. To fulfill and accomplish after Jesus does what Jesus is determined to do. So pay close attention then to the verb tenses that are used here. He's not just asking that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, but he is confessing that the eyes of their understanding are enlightened. The eyes of their understanding being enlightened. Amen. The eyes of their understanding being enlightened. So notice now, we need enlightened understanding so that we may know what is the hope of his calling. Far too many born-again believers look at this as, as applying only to people who've been called to preach or something like that, who've been called to pastor who've been called to, to be a missionary in foreign soils. No, let me tell you something. What we're learning on Wednesday night is that the ultimate calling of God for every uh, human being on planet Earth is the call to fellowship and to have and experience and enjoy the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus the Son has enjoyed with God the Father for all of eternity. That we've been called into the same fellowship, amen, 1 Corinthians 2, we've been called into the same fellowship with uh, God the Father as Jesus. This is our calling in life. Do we have other purposes besides this one? Yes, we do. But I like to say it this way. Your number one purpose in life is fellowship with God, and all other purposes are not only secondary to that number one purpose, they're dependent upon it. In other words, whatever God has 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 given to you by way of purpose and destiny and assignment, His will for your life, His giftings, His talents, all these things that He's given to you, all of those things are certainly God-given purposes, God-given abilities, God-given assignments, and even ultimately a God-given destiny. But, but listen to me, please. Being a, being a father, being a husband, being a servant leader, being a pastor teacher in the body of Christ, all of those things are very important purposes for my life. But they are not the most important purpose for my life. The most important purpose for my life is fellowship with the Father. Because the more I fellowship with the Father, the better pastor I am, the better husband I am, the better father I am, the better grandfather I am, the better friend I am, the better teacher I am, the better servant leader I am, the better pastor I am. Are you seeing this? That we would know that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we would know what is the hope, what is the confident expectation of God's calling. And we could, we could preach on hope and calling. But again, let's keep going here. What is the exceeding, uh, what is, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His, if you notice in your Bible, His is a capital H. So that would be God's inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Saints means a born-again believer. Do not believe the religious uh, mindsets and the, and the religious traditions that, that, that list all of these man-made qualifications to become a saint. That, that is, pardon me, but that's bogus. To the saints at Rome, to the saints at Amen. In other words, if you are a born-again man or woman, it is very clear from the Scriptures that you are now a saint. So when, he's, when he uses this terminology that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, he's literally saying that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you. What he's invested in you. What he has given to you. Amen. The glory of these things. 
Now, I'm not trying to come on too hard, too strong this morning. But if you, again, go back to John, the 17th chapter, these are some things we've been talking about on Wednesday night. You see where Jesus, because it's, it's part of what fellowship means. So, so many people in the body of Christ are trying to understand what God desires to have for them and with them from the broken concept of a relationship with God. A relationship with God. And I know, again, words mean something. I'm not trying to split hairs this morning, but, but if the hair needs to be split, we're going to split it. Amen? One of the, one of the things that, that the Lord has spoken to us about this, this year, all of 2023, is the difference between rolling the middles of a wall like with a paint roller and taking a brush and cutting in against the baseboards. And, and he said that far too many, far, far too many of his preachers and teachers in the body of Christ are content with rolling the middle and then moving on to another subject without ever getting up against the wall. Because see, when you get that brush in your hand and you start getting up up, up against the edge, you start getting up against the, the confrontational truths of the Scripture. You start getting up, up, up against things that divide people because they have different opinions of, and, and different ideas about what those things mean. And so because of that, uh, th- this is, this is the, the mindset. Th- th- these are the seeds uh, behind uh, the fruit of what the scriptures say in the last days, people will search out teachers who will tickle their ears and, and, and only tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Amen. And so this whole idea of, you know, this, this, this myth of God's word being uh, uh, controversial. Amen. It's not controversial, it's confrontational. It's, 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 uh, it's invading your comfort zone. Amen. We were talking about this on Wednesday night in discipleship class. It's a fatal error, and I don't use that word lightly. It is, it is not just a critical error. It's not just a major error. It is a fatal, potentially fatal error. Amen. When the Word of God has, has, says this, and our experience is somewhere beneath what the Word of God says, Amen. The fatal error is when we water down the word to match our experience instead of holding on to the word and allowing the power that's in the word of God to raise our experience to match what the word of God says. The Bible says that you and I will do the works that Jesus did and even greater works because he returns to his father. Amen. Now, notice there are all kinds of things that religion does with that verse today. Well, you know, that was only for the original apostles. Wrong. The Bible does. I'm not here to teach on that. I'm just trying to show you an example, right? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says those who believe after the original apostles preach will lay their hands on the sick and the sick will recover, right? But notice now, religion, because the experience is we're not seeing that with our eyes, right? We, we think that we've somehow got to water the word down to match our experience, and notice what happens then. Our experience drops a little further and we water the word down a little more. And it drops a little further and we water it down a little more. Until next thing you know, you've got major denominations that don't even believe Jesus was born of a virgin anymore. You've got huge denominations on planet earth that just completely ignore what the Bible has to say about sexual sin. You have complete denomination. Are you following? I'm not, listen, I'm not here throwing rocks. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you, amen, that every word Father God has ever spoken has been with your best interest in mind. And every word that Father God has ever spoken to you, about you, for you, and, 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 and concerning you, amen, has not only had your best interest in mind, that word that He has spoken has His power residing within it to produce those results in your life if you will respond to His word by faith. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let me get me a sip of water here, praise God. 
So fellowship. We see we try to understand these things from a relationship perspective. And and there's a lot of different things that that um you know are distinguishing characteristics between a relationship mindset and a fellowship mindset. But one of the key things is a relationship mindset has as its highest subjective the, the concept of sharing. And people who are in their marriages have a relationship mindset. Listen to me, if you're, if you're married in this room, you don't have a relationship with your spouse. You are in covenant oneness and fellowship with him or her. Amen. It's not a relationship. So I'm just going to share my life with Pam. I'm not, I'm not here to share my life with Pam. I have given my life to Pam, and she has given her life to me. There's a big difference there. Jesus didn't come to share his life with you. Jesus came to give his life for you and then give his life to you. And when we talk about a fellowship mindset, if you understand what fellowship is, fellowship means whatever belongs to one member of the fellowship belongs to all. That's why Jesus said, Father has loved you with the same love that he loved Jesus with. This is why the Bible says that you are an heir of God and a co-heir together with Jesus, entitled to everything from God the Father that Jesus is entitled to. Again, you'll never understand these things outside of the context of what fellowship is and what fellowship means. And this is why in John chapter 17, Jesus said, Father, the glory that you have given to me, I now give to them. It's strong stuff, right? Well, you know, Pastor Mark, that's, the Bible really didn't mean that. Yes, it did mean that. Yes, it did mean that. And notice now, what is he praying? He's praying that the eyes of our understanding, enlightened, be enlightened, so that we may know, not, not think, not have an opinion, not to know means know that you know that you know. Confident in the knowing. When, when you, when, when, you understand something. See, now this changes the way you see things moving forward. This is when you, this, when you understand something. This is when you don't look at things the way you looked at them before. When Paul is praying for the understanding to be enlightened and confessing that their understanding is enlightened, notice there's some key areas that their understanding would be enlightened that we would know what's the hope of his calling. Understanding enlightened that we would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul to Philemon, he said that we would acknowledge every good thing that is in us. That we would acknowledge every good thing that is in us. When you were born again, Father God put some good things in you. He put himself in you. He put his word in you. He put his authority in you. He put his name in you. He put his, his, his anointings in you. Are you following me? All of these things that he put in you, he put righteousness in you. He put freedom in you. He put abundance in you. He put wisdom in you. All of these things inside of us, amen, that we would acknowledge what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, who believe what? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead, seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's named, the name not only in this age, but also in that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The body of Christ is the fullness of him. The body of Christ is the fullness of Christ, who now fills all in all. That word fullness there means completeness. Would a body be complete without a head? No. Jesus is the head, we're the body. 
It's very easy to get an amen from people when you say you're not, you're not complete without the Lord. But see, fellowship, again, it comes back to that two-way street. You're not complete without him, but he says in his word that he's not complete without you. Now, thank you, Jesus. Let's go to... Let's go to Proverbs 3. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I quoted the passage just a moment ago. All right, I'm sending you to Proverbs 3. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to look at Proverbs 3, 5. I'm going to read. You stay in Proverbs 3, 5, but let me read 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So, this is one of the verses that we've referred back to often this year. where the word of the Lord came to us in January of this year that he desired to see and help produce a significant shift in our lives this year. Not just incremental or gradual, but significant. And remember he said that a significant shift always comes with a significant if. Amen? Are you thinking or are you getting quiet on me? Significant shift always comes with a significant if. Amen. And we looked at a lot of ifs this year, praise God. And we see that as long as someone thinks like a child, understands or processes information like a child, which then means they're going to speak like a child, what is obviously not stated and I think on purpose for the for us to be led to that conclusion is that we're going to we're going to act like a child in other words how could you think understand and speak like a child but then act and behave like an adult it's not going to happen is it right okay now thoughts are building blocks for our understanding. Your understanding is a lot of different ways, and we'll get to some more of this next week. Your, your understanding is, is like, think of it as something that's been programmed into you your entire life. Have you figured out by now that not everybody understands things the way you understand them? <laughs> See, that's your own understanding. Now, there will be similarities because we have similar experiences and, and similar things that we've been exposed to throughout our lives that have programmed the way we understand. Anybody in the younger generation figured out that members of the older generation who went through the Great Depression 
have a different understanding about money and saving money and spending money and come on now anybody that's a really good way to illustrate that amen some of the carryover of that in my own life kept a 25 plus year old microphone on this pulpit that was sounding horrible had tape around it hold it together why it's because as my parents went through all that raised with nothing raised in a family of poverty and and uh, you know, I often say that my dad has seven cents of the first dime he ever made. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's just, that's his mindset, the way he understands these things. And then, of course, that translated down to me, and so I'm like, well, we can just tape it up and keep using it. You know, that's an understanding. Notice it's, it's a response. It's how we process things. The Lord's really had to help me with that. I'm just telling you, the Lord really had to help me with that, right? Things that, that need to be done, and I'm like, well, we'll just do it ourselves, you know. Man, this one right here, listen to this one. See, this is what the Lord got me strong. Somebody, just stay with me for a minute. Let me kind of just blabber a little bit, okay? You know, I heard it said, and man, this struck me. This got me. This gripped my heart. He said, <clears throat> somebody who has like a poverty mentality, they will spend time to save money. Somebody who has a, a wealth mentality will spend money to save time. There's what, you, you follow what I'm saying here? Well, I'll be honest with you. I've lived most of my life spending time to save money. <laughs> and I, some of you, I can't believe I'm fixing to offend some of the older generation here. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to show you it's, it's the difference in the understanding. It's a difference in the understanding. Things that need to be done that I'm like, well, I, when I get the time, we'll do it. Amen. Brother Jerry has helped me a lot with this. Amen. 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 We got the money to do it? Yeah, we got the money to do it. Are we going to trust God for more money after we spend that money? Yes, sir. Well, let's spend some money then. Amen. Amen. So when the Bible talks about your own understanding, literally an understanding that, that would be unique to you as an individual, So thoughts become the building blocks that form into, over time, an understanding, a, a, a way of looking at things, a way of processing things, which ultimately then determines how we respond to things. Speak like a child. Could we say it this way? If we understand like a child, we're going to respond like a child. Amen? Now, this is, a, this is important because when we were born again, it was our spirit that was born again. Your understanding was not born again. A new creature with an old understanding... Come on now. A new creature with an old understanding will still live like an old creature. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Proverbs 3 and we'll... Amen. We still got a few minutes. Y'all okay? Yes, you got a few more minutes? 
Are you getting anything out of this? Okay. So Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Let's stop right there. Last week we talked about Naaman. I know some of you were not here for that. But in looking at The simplest thing would be for me to call it the story of Naaman, but this isn't, this isn't fiction. Okay, this, is, this is a historical account of Naaman's life and a miracle that God performed through the prophet Elisha in Naaman's life. Okay, so when I say the story of Naaman, I'm, I'm just relaying to you something that actually happened. Amen? And Naaman had the cruel and merciless disfiguring disease of leprosy. And he heard that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal him. Now, the part and the reason I want to revisit that again this morning is I want you to see how Naaman's understanding, right, how he saw all this, we could say his perspective, perspective is part of it, perception is part of it, how you perceive a situation, how you understand it. Notice Naaman's understanding, how, how he thought, how he uh, uh, spoke, how he acted, how he responded in this situation before I even go any further, was that important as far as him receiving from God? Yes, it was critically important. His own understanding, again, how he thought it should go down, how he thought it ought to work, how he understood this thing to, 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 to work, and, and so forth and so on. And, and so he loads up an entourage, gets dressed up in his finest clothes, gets a letter from his king, because he and his king are tight and his king was king of the most powerful nation on planet earth so he was you know he was to be respected if for no other reason because of his closeness with the king of Syria and then he loads up donkeys and mules or whatever with um, gold and silver and ten changes of the finest clothes that money could buy and he heads out, him and his entourage with all his goodies, to the prophet's house. He's trying to receive a miracle from God based upon his own understanding. And if you know the story, how it, how it thank God it didn't end this way, but if you know the story, towards the end of it, when his own feudal understanding 
was not making the connection, he became furious and offended, got back up on his high horse, and rode off angry. Okay? How many people in the body of Christ today, how many of God's children today are mad at God because they think God should have done something in their life, God should have helped them in some way, and now God has let them down. But what they don't understand is that they were trying to receive from God based upon their own understanding. They were wanting God to work in their life according to their terms. How did Naaman understand uh, these kinds of transactions? There's no telling how many peace negotiations Naaman had spearheaded as a representative of the king of Syria. He was a man who knew how to deal with other people. He was a man who knew how to negotiate. He was a man who knew how to, uh, what what is that, uh, influence people? Make friends and influence people. Or what was it? he had taken that course? He could teach that course. Whatever. Anybody remember that one? Did I go out on a limb there? What, what Zig Ziglar? How to win friends and make money? Win friends, influence people. Anyways, y'all just look. Y'all just sitting there nodding and grinning, but y'all ain't shouting out what it is. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Younger generations like we have no no idea, sir. Please keep going. All right. So it was a very popular, uh, you know, course that people took back in those days. And and man. Naaman knew how to do that, right? And so he's going to go work his charm on Elisha. He's going to wow Elisha. He's going to impress Elisha with, with, with his pomp and circumstances and his wealth and his person and his, his image and, and, and what he's brought. And so he, he rides in to impress. He rides in. Uh, let's see, watch this now. What, what he didn't know, see, that's his own understanding. What he didn't understand is that God doesn't look at the outward appearance of a man. He looks on his heart. God's not impressed with outward appearances. God's not impressed with people's person and image, projected image. Are you seeing this? So do you see how right off the bat, you know, what, what Naaman understands to be so important. You know, you only get one uh, chance to make a good first impression or whatever, you know. He, how, he, how he understands all this to work, it has nothing to do with the way, way God works and the way God operates. He, he's brought money. What do you understand is that God's not for sale. His prophets aren't for sale. He, if you were to have asked Naaman before his encounter with Elisha, he would have told you everybody has a price. Y'all ever heard that expression? Everybody has a price. Elisha didn't have a price. Even after he was, even after he was healed and he came back to try to not negotiate with him, but to, to bless him and give him an offering, he wouldn't take a penny of it. But again, Naaman's understanding is everybody has a price. God's understanding is I'm not for sale and neither are my, neither are my prophets. Naaman's thinking that Maybe when he sees him, he'll have some sympathy for him. See, again, what he don't understand is that God doesn't respond based on sympathy. God doesn't operate based upon emotion. 
And then perhaps the biggest one of all, the way Naaman understood this was that, was that he wasn't going to have to do anything but negotiate. And then Elisha would wave his hand. He literally said this. I thought that he would wave. I thought that he, notice this is how he understood it. He understood it to work this way. He understood that he was going to come, impress, negotiate, uh, appeal to his emotions, appeal to, to his, his greed, appeal to his desire for, for nice things and all this other stuff and, and wow him and impress him and all this other stuff. None of that had to do anything with the way God works. And then he thought that he would just have to do nothing. Man, how many folks are there today? That he would, he would have to do nothing and God would wave his hand, uh, Elisha would wave his hand over him and the leprosy would disappear. All his troubles would be gone. Listen to me please, okay? In the same way that there are things that God cannot honor, you do realize that God doesn't honor every person. He loves every person, but He only honors those who honor Him. Because for God to honor people who do not honor Him would be one of the greatest disservices God could ever do to that person. Very similar, but on a much larger scale, would be a parent who doesn't correct their children when they're wrong and doesn't reward them when they're right. God will not, there are certain things that God will not and cannot honor. And as much as we would like for Him to honor us, amen, He would be doing you ultimately a disservice if He honored some of the things in our lives that He refuses to honor. One of the greatest disservices that God could have done is leave Naaman in his place of arrogance and control and demanding things be on his terms, one of the worst things God could have done is just ignored all of that and healed the man because he would have ridden back to Syria. He would have ridden back to Syria healed, but in a worse position than he was before he left. But because God would not, would not stoop down. Listen to me now. God, God has humbled himself in the form of his son, I'm not trying to imply that. But when I say stoop down, bow down, let me that's a better word. God would not bow down to Naaman and his person and his wealth and his position and, 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 and him being a big shot in Syria. Because God would not bow down to Naaman and meet Naaman's need on Naaman's terms. Listen to me now. Naaman wanted God to meet his needs on his terms. Because God refused to do that, it required Naaman to do what? It required Naaman to humble himself, and it required Naaman to respond to the Word of God by faith. And guess what just happened? Naaman was not only healed, but he rode back to Syria knowing that there was only one true God of heaven and earth, and that he, would, he vowed to worship the true and living God for the rest of his life. You don't have to agree with me, but I believe Naaman's in heaven. What? How could he be in heaven? Well, Jesus went and preached to the righteous dead, the captives, right? And gave them the opportunity to be born again in Abraham's bosom. Naaman, a military man, you've got you to understand, by the way, thanks to all our veterans in the room. I know it was yesterday, but, but we honor you, uh, not just uh, today, but every day. Thank you for your service. 
Naaman was a military man. If he said, I'm going to, he even, he even said, there are times that I have to go back into the temple because my king, I guess he needed to hold on to somebody or something. He said, my king goes in there and, and I have to hold him. He said, so please, I'm asking you to forgive me in advance if I ever step foot back in that heathen temple again. But I'm carrying two mule loads of dirt back home with me and I will pour that dirt out and stand on Israeli soil and worship the living God for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's a lot more that we can and we'll talk about there, but I guess one of the key things, again, I'm wanting you to see it's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful story. But what I'm wanting you to, what I'm wanting you to see, though, is that as, as long as Naaman was locked into the futility, that's what we see in Ephesians 4, that word futile thoughts, as long as he was locked into his futile understanding of how all this worked, right, he, he's, he's going home to die. He's not going to receive anything from God. You do know James says... Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from God. You think, man, God's being hard. And he's not being hard. There are certain understandings that, that to have a carnal understanding is, is separation from God's highest and best in our lives. Amen. Are you okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father. As we stand before you, we want to say thank you. Lord, I know that this, this is the Thanksgiving season. Well, we got Thanksgiving Day. But Father, I'm, I'm thankful for men and women listening to me right now who don't wait for one day out of the year to be thankful, Lord. We've got so much to be thankful for. You've done so much for us, and you've helped us in so, so, so many ways. Father, I pray this morning that timeless, even eternal prayer that each person listening to me right now would receive from you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Confessing, Father, that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened. They are enlightened so that we can see and know clearly the hope of our calling. See and know clearly what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in each one of us. See and know clearly what is the exceeding greatness of your power directed towards us right now. Father, you, you have us in, in, in your uh, crosshairs, so to speak, the crosshairs of your power working in and flowing through our lives, the same power the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's named both in this age and the age of this to come. And Father, I thank you that, that he is now the head of the body that we're all members of, that beautiful, beautiful example, imagery of fellowship, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never receive this gift of salvation you've never been made one with God and, and answered his call not just to salvation and a new life but to fellowship with him but you say today's my day pastor I'd like to take that step anybody in the room you say pastor I've never been born again but today's my day amen 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 amen
Father, I believe that that means everybody listening to me right now knows you and is walking with you. I thank you, Father, that as we now submit ourselves to the process of discipleship, receiving new information, new truth, new wisdom from you, Father, and from your word. And, Father, that that new truth and wisdom is resetting our minds. Lord, we've been set in our ways and we've been, we've been set in, in a way of, of, of thinking and set in a way of doing. And yet, Lord, you're here to reset our ways of thought and doing to your ways of thinking and doing. And we welcome that, Father. Lord, the renewing of our mind can never be complete without the renewing of our understanding. Father, that we wouldn't just remember some things, know about some things. That's important, Father. But clearly the disciples knew and remembered a lot of things that never changed the way they understood things. Father, we we have been redeemed. And I thank you, Lord, that we are no longer thinking on an immature level, understanding on an immature level, and speaking on an immature level, but that we are growing up into Jesus in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this morning. I pray that um, you got some things out of this that you can take home with you and study out in the Word for yourself. Amen. You have a blessed afternoon. I'll see some of you in the morning, some of you Wednesday. Good things coming.